This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Verse 15 from 1 Thessalonians 5. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Yeah, that's great. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. One verse. That's all we have. One verse. We can do this together, okay? One verse. It's a pretty clear verse. Uh, as Ted mentioned, we are at the end of our series in First Thessalonians, and we've reached the point in the book where Paul is giving final instructions. And a few weeks before uh, today, Ted gave the illustration or idea that essentially what Paul has been doing in First Thessalonians is he has been taking a rifle approach. And the way he explained that is that Paul has taken on issues and he's gone straight for specific issues. He's gone straight for specific questions. And then in the final instructions, as Paul often does and the other writers in the New Testament do, they go to a shotgun approach. So this idea of there are other things I want to say that are related. And even though you didn't specifically mention them, I will mention them now and you will obey them now. That's kind of the point, right? And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to slow down and take smaller chunks of these BBs, these shotgun uh, sections, so to speak. And we wanted to slow down. So today, that means we have one verse. And honestly, it's, it's pretty clear, right? At the beginning, there's a negative command. And on the back end, there's a positive command. And we read it, and it's not too hard to understand. But what is more difficult is to apply it to our lives. I think it's more difficult to flesh it out. And so I'm going to say all that I feel like I need to say in order to bring a little bit of clarity or insight. And then I'm going to spend most of my time drilling down. That's the benefit of taking one verse at a time, right? Okay, so uh, in my research or nerdery, as I was researching for this sermon, I came across this article written in 2006 in the Journal of Applied Social Psychology. This is a true story, okay? And in 2006, there was this study, and I thought it was appropriate not only for the idea and concept of this passage, and you know what it is, right? After we've read it, the concept of this passage is that when people do evil against you, you are to respond by doing good, right? But the real emphasis is on doing good even when people do not do good to you, right? That's the whole summary of the passage. As Christians, we're called to seek to do good to others even when they oppose us, right? That's the summary. So as I was reading in this fascinating journal, uh, there was a study of a, over 200 people were studied, three studies, and this is sort of a meta-analysis of these studies, Well, let me bring it closer to you because I can see some of you are already like, is he really gonna talk about this study from 2006? What's the most annoying thing to you this time of year in a packed parking lot as you're leaving the store? Lots of things, right? But one of them, I guarantee you, is when a car is following you waiting for your parking spot. Amen? Right? If you, even it's not during Christmas here in Orlando, go over to Trader Joe's in Winter Park where they built that new place. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas or not. That place is always going to be packed. So when you leave any store, you're going to be stalked 
by a car waiting for your parking spot, okay? So that is a universal reality, and they studied it, and they found that when you're not being followed, the average time is of just over 30 seconds when you get to your car to the time you leave. They found that when someone's following you, it goes close to 40 seconds. And if someone honks, it's well over 40 seconds, coming in somewhere around 43 seconds. That was the average over 200 people. Okay, so this week, as I'm thinking about that, I did go to Trader Joe's and I repented ahead of time. And when I was there, this woman uh, scared me. Like I'm driving and Livy's like, I wanna park, I wanna get out. Livy's my daughter. I'm like, we can't find a parking spot. I can't park right here. And this lady holding a baby, pushing a car with another child in it, sort of jumps in front of my car and she says, I'm right here, I'm about to leave. I thought, who are you? Who are you? That's crazy. Nobody does that. Everybody walks like this, cursing people in their mind for following them. But not her. Not her. And so it's a study, so it must be true, right? But I think what's even more uh, real to us is we experience things like that. We experience realities like that somewhere in our heart and mind. We have this mentality that our world revolves around us. And so when our world revolves around us, we become very narcissistic and turned inward. And that causes our response towards other people to be selfish and otherwise. And so today, Paul's writing to a young church, a church that's being persecuted, a church that's being marginalized. People in this church are losing their positions in the city. They're being verbally persecuted and in some cases physically persecuted. And yet Paul writes this, Do not return evil for evil. Now, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to talk first about the second part, the positive command. And then I'm going to come back to the do not return evil for evil. So let's put that on hold and let's go to the second part of the verse where he says, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So first point is this, pursue kindness. Now, I know the word kindness is not in here, but some translations translate it kindness. I went back and forth all week, and instead of saying pursue good, I'm saying pursue kindness because I think kindness takes good up into it, and in my mind, kindness is more interpersonal. Okay, so that's why I'm saying kindness. Now, here's the thing. Kindness is doing what is good in a certain situation. So Paul's not interested here in This ideal world of go out into the world and be nice. Go out into the world and do good. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about specific situations and doing what is good for the other person in that situation, very specifically, in that moment. So therefore, kindness is not always soft. It's not always nice, right? Just look right above it if you have your Bibles. If you don't, that's fine. I'll read it to you. Paul says this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, to esteem them highly. That's what he says in verse 12. But then in verse 14, he says, and we urge you, admonish the idle. Have you ever been admonished? It it stings just a little bit. Have you ever been admonished? It makes you a little insecure when you admonish someone. Encourage the faint-hearted. Sometimes encouraging the faint-hearted gets old. Sometimes encouraging the faint-hearted is not convenient. And then he says, help the weak. Help the weak. That doesn't come natural to us either. So the point is, is that to do what is good, to pursue kindness, to pursue good, isn't always easy. It's not soft. 
It actually costs you something. And so in saying pursue kindness or pursue to do good, Paul is saying commit yourself to a life of sacrificing for other people. That's what he's saying very specifically. And like I said, this isn't about just being nice. It's about becoming a certain type of person. In chapter one, Paul is just so excited about what's happening in the church of Thessalonica. And one of the things he says at the very beginning is, you have turned from idols to worship the living God. So that means they have a new Lord. That means they no longer worship their own comfort. That would be an idol. They no longer worship their own power and control. They worship Jesus. That makes us different. That makes them different. That makes the way we view the world different. Salvation, Paul's saying, is ethical, meaning what you do actually matters. And what you do changes when you have a new Lord, okay? The other thing I want to point out here in this simple short passage is this word, this phrase, always seek to do good. That word, seek, is the word normally translated persecute. So what is, what, why is he using that word? Remember, they're being persecuted. Remember, Paul used to persecute Christians and he's turning it on its head. He's saying, you're being persecuted with evil. I'm telling you, persecute people with kindness. Chase them down. Run towards them. Hem them in with kindness, with what is good in that moment. That is strong language. Persecute people with kindness. And you know, it's so interesting because I find that um, I want this to be natural. I want this to be something that comes to me naturally. So what that means is that I think when it really matters, then I will be kind. When it really matters, I will go out of my way to pursue or persecute someone with kindness. But you know, it doesn't work that way. Becoming this type of person is like a thousand mundane decisions. It's a thousand times responding, persecuting your spouse with kindness. When after a long day, the words that come out of their mouth are anything but kind. When your four-year-old, or my four-year-old maybe, mouths me off for the same thing over and over and over because she's hungry or because she's tired. And for the seventh time, I just want to look at her and be like, well, you know, I want to say, stop it. Please stop it. But a thousand times, I'm, I, I seek to persecute her with kindness, right? What about a coworker? This goes everywhere, but it's a thousand small decisions per- pursuing someone with kindness. Now, I don't know if this is just a, a male thing. I'm sure women do this in their own way. But when men read uh, an account of a natural disaster or something about a burning building and there's a hero in the story, we all assume we would do the same thing. Or we create the story in our mind that we would do that. I would run towards the burning building, not away from the burning building. A couple weeks ago, actually it's almost a month ago now, uh, maybe more than that, time goes really fast. The point is, I was in Chicago and I'm a Cardinals fan. The Cardinals were playing the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field and it was the last game before they do over $200 million of renovation to this historic 
Wrigley Field. And because the Cubs are terrible, no one was there. So I had $15 tickets and I'm sitting there with another pastor and we ride the train after the game back out into the suburbs to where our car was parked. And as we're walking in the hall, we're talking and this woman, she was very disheveled and it was strange. The whole situation was strange. And she was muttering to herself and she was trying to pull all of these pieces of luggage with her off of the train. And we barely even stopped talking, but we certainly slowed down. And we just watched this woman struggle. It was just so confusing. And then the, the alarm started, started to sound because the doors were about to shut. And so what I would like to tell you is I snapped out of whatever was wrong with me and jumped in and helped pull out her luggage. But the door starts going. We're two pastors walking watching this happen. And then this man, maybe an angel, came out of nowhere and pulled out the luggage. It was like that. Helped her, the door shuts, and we literally just walk right past her. And I stopped us in conversation and I could feel my face turning red. And I looked at him and I said, can you believe we did nothing? Two pastors just walked by. Were we confused? Yes. But I want my heart to be in a place where it doesn't matter if I'm confused. Immediately I see that my response is to persecute that woman with kindness. To persecute that woman with specific, mundane, good. Whatever was best for her in that situation. Because a thousand of those things change me. And make me into the type of person who pursues people with kindness. Who persecutes people with kindness. So doing good or pursuing or persecuting people for kindness is a life lived for others, even in those seeming mundane realities. That's what Paul is saying. And he doesn't just say to those in the church, what does he say? But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, this is why we started in kindness, because when he says everyone, he means even those people who are brutally opposing you. They matter too. They count. Paul is calling the Thessalonians and us to live our lives in a way that we return blessing for cursing. We be actively friendly and kind in the face of hostility. And so not only are we to pursue kindness, we are to renounce revenge. Let's go back to the beginning here of verse 15. See that no one repays anyone. Isn't that so interesting how he's very clear? See that no one repays anyone. This gets back to another point that was made earlier a couple weeks ago. Uh, Paul expects that all Christians in the church are doing this. This isn't only the leader's job to look out and make sure all of the sheep are being nice to one another. This is for everyone to pursue the good and kindness of others in specific situations and to encourage one another to do the same. And so if you're familiar with the New Testament or the Bible in general, this phrase, you know, doesn't only show up here in the New Testament. This is actually completely normal and expected teaching in the moral sort of what do we do sections of the New Testament. It's very common. For example, just a few. Romans 12 Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. Basically what he says here. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. First Peter, Peter chapter three says, do not repay evil for evil. And he adds, or reviling 
for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is this you were called to. And obviously they root this in Jesus' teaching. Matthew 5, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus, a few verses later, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this isn't new. This isn't the only time in the New Testament this shows up. This is very clear. And of course it shows up in the Old Testament as well. And really, this is a remarkable thing about the Christian ethic. It's remarkable. The believer or the follower of Christ is to follow the example of Jesus. That is to refrain from personal retaliation and revenge for yourself. Now, what I'm about to say seems, seems so blanket in its statement. It seems so broad brush, but I really believe it's true. And that is this. There is not a single place in the Bible that will justify your personal revenge against another person. Nowhere. Nowhere will you find that personal revenge is taught, encouraged, or allowed. Paul is writing into a culture where this would be so countercultural. In this day and age, in a more shame-based culture, Revenge was good. In fact, if you held a prominent position, which some of the people in Thessalonica did, if you were publicly sinned against or ridiculed or slandered and you did not respond with revenge publicly, you probably would lose your position. There are examples of this. If a public official chose not to respond in revenge or retaliation, they would very well be in danger of losing their position. That's how commonplace it was. And that's the culture that Paul is speaking into. Now, in our culture, we're much more sanitized, okay? So we may not think that we pursue revenge. Think again. We use euphemisms. You like that word? Euphemisms. Which means that we do it, we just call it something else to make ourselves feel better about it. Okay? What about this phrase? What about, oh, I'm gonna stonewall that person. Right, an argument, coworker, spouse, doesn't matter. What do you do when you stonewall someone? You put up a wall, you cut off communication. Why do you do that? Well, it's really complicated, but I think what it boils down to is you've been hurt by them. And so you want to do anything you can, even if it's passive aggressive, in order to get retribution, to gain something back, to take something from them. And in that case, it's your fellowship with that person or it's your relationship. So you felt hurt, so you wanna hurt them right? And we call it stonewalling. Really, that's revenge. It's responding to something someone did against you that was wrong or evil, and it's responding with the same kind of thing. Here's another one. I've been told this is Southern, but we said this in Indiana too. This is creepy. Kill them with kindness. You ever heard that? What does that mean? Someone come to me at the connect table afterward and tell me exactly what you mean by that. And like you thought that ever was a good thing to say, or there was ever any kindness in that phrase. Kill them with kindness. I think what we sometimes mean by that is we've created this, this idea of take the high road, right? Take the high road. What it really is, is it's an invitation to hurt someone, but stay 
culturally kosher or, or not to uh, disrupt the relationship so much that you're embarrassed, but it's clear to them that you are gaining revenge. You are exacting something from them, whatever it is. So you kill them with kindness. Now this week in, um, in Proverbs, in CBR, City Bible Reading, we read this in Proverbs 25. Paul also quotes this idea of, of dumping burning coals on people's face. I think for a while, I thought that must be the, that must be the biblical um, example of killing people with kindness. Okay, it's not. It's not. So let me just tell you quickly, because it was in CBR this week, uh, that, uh, how, what that actually means. Okay? So most commentators now would agree that that phrase comes from the Egyptians. It was an Egyptian proverb. And the whole point was, what happens if you were to dump burning coals on people's face? What color would that be? It would be red, wouldn't it? So in a sense, you would make their face red. When does your face turn red? When you're ashamed. Or when you're embarrassed for what you've done. So the whole point of, res- of doing that, uh, of taking burning coals and, and responding to evil with kindness, those two concepts go together because when I respond in kindness with someone, they're ashamed of what they've done to me. And the goal of that shame is not to kill them with kindness. The goal of that shame is to restore them to repentance, to help them discover the wickedness with which they had acted towards me. And so when I respond in kind, it's not my job to make them repent. It's not my job to change them. My job is to appeal to the common grace inside of them that they know it is wrong to transgress against another person. And so in that sense, they feel shame. Now they may respond by hardening their heart. But that's not our job. So to kill them with kindness, you don't go to that idea of burning, heaping coals or pouring them, heaping coals of, what is it? Dumping, heaping, burning, red coals, you get it? Whatever that phrase is that I can't, I don't have it written down, it's not to my mind. So you understand what I'm saying, I hope. It's not a justification for that. I have some other uh, euphemisms we'll use, but I'm gonna move on and just keep it at that. The point is, is that we do Revenge. But in a sanitized culture, we just hide it better. So where is it? Where is it in your life? Where do you seek revenge? I think the second place we go besides hiding behind other phrases and words is we think remaining neutral is a good thing. In other words, if I just walk away and don't say anything or if I move on and act like it really didn't happen, that that's being Christian. Actually, no, that's not. Because that's not what Paul says. And that's not what any of the writers that I mentioned said. And that's not what Jesus said. Paul said, persecute people with kindness. Not because it's easier, move on. Not because you want to be more comfortable, move on. To love someone is to come to them in kindness and admonish them if that's what needs to happen. Encourage them if that's what needs to happen. Do good to them, whatever the situation calls for. Persecute them with kindness, Paul says. Seek it out. So refraining from lashing out is not enough. We are to pursue people with kindness. So I think there are a couple things at this point that normally come up in people's mind when you talk about this teaching. As I talk to people this week, I would say, what is your mind going to when you read, do not return evil for evil? And when you think about Jesus's words of turning the other cheek and so forth, where does your mind go? And I would summarize it in these two things, what what I heard from people and what I also felt. 
And the first sort of sub-point here is the question, what about justice? What about justice? When you talk about not retaliating against people or not seeking revenge, people think, well, what about justice? They wronged me. And I would say the reason that feels so right to connect uh, revenge and justice is because I think revenge is a twisted, perverted view of justice. It's taking justice, the idea of, of righting wrongs and shalom, it's taking this idea and perverting it, right? So what about justice? Well, the Bible is very clear that we are to pursue justice. God's people are to seek out justice. We are to go do justice. I could go to a bunch of different places, but this week in my study, one of the places I was most fascinated by this call to do justice was Isaiah 56 verse one. Uh, I won't quote it, but I'll summarize it. And essentially uh, what Isaiah is saying is he's in this verse summarizing the first 55 chapters Every commentator I looked at said, yeah, this is a summary of the first 55 chapters. And he says, do justice and seek righteousness. That's what he says. And so a few verses later, he says something very similar. So anywhere I could go, I could say the Christian is called to pursue justice. The teaching of returning good for evil is to forbid revenge, not to encourage injustice or dishonesty. Do you hear this? This teaching is to forbid revenge, not to discourage us from pursuing justice. But in our minds, somehow we make a connection that if I'm not supposed to pursue revenge, well, then that means I just have to give up on justice. That's not true. They're two separate issues. Revenge is about you exacting punishment from someone else because of how they wronged you. Justice is pursuing the good of all people, including the person who wronged you. It's about bringing shalom. It's about bringing wholeness. Now, before I move on, I must say, in this, before Jesus comes back, all justice will be approximate. Okay, all justice is proximate. But that doesn't mean that we don't pursue it. We're called to pursue justice. And I want to paraphrase a quote from John Stott before I move on to the second subpoint question, okay? And he says this, true love is caring for both the individual and society. True love takes action to deter evil and to promote good. Paul in this passage, obviously rooted in Jesus's teaching, is not teaching an irresponsibility which encourages evil. You see what he's saying? By saying don't pursue revenge, he's not promoting laziness when it comes to injustice. But he's promoting forbearance when by renouncing revenge. You see, to love people, to pursue or persecute people with kindness, that goes everywhere, even when they oppose you, even when they oppose you very personally. And I think in our minds now, it may be most natural for us to think about huge issues. And I think we should go there. But what I'm really talking about is I think what Paul is getting at And that is, how are you doing this? How's it going in your mundane day-to-day life with your coworkers, spouse, community group members, colleagues, family members, right? We're coming up to Christmas. I understand that this might be an anxious time of year for many of you as you are about to pursue kindness, hopefully, 
with people who may have really wronged you. Your parents may have failed you. They may have sinned against you so deeply that you still find it hard to be around them. But yet somehow you get up the the strength and courage uh, to be around them for the sake of whatever you feel is necessary. And it's gonna be really hard to do this. So although it's, it's good and natural for us to think about very big issues, what I am trying to draw us to is those 1,000 and the next 1,000 and the next 1,000 small mundane times when you have the opportunity to lash out or to walk away and instead to pursue or persecute people with kindness. The second question I think we ask is, so doesn't this make me a doormat? Right? Doesn't this make me a doormat? Uh, no, it doesn't, because that wouldn't be loving to others or to you. How can you do what's best for people if you just let them walk all over you? How do you admonish someone if you don't say anything? How do you encourage someone if you don't re- confront them and get in their life and understand what's going on? It's clear that even Jesus understood and, and realized that there would be times when we defend ourselves. He tells his apostles before he leaves them at the end of a few of the gospels that when you're taken before the courts, don't be concerned about what you say or don't say because the Holy Spirit will tell you how to defend yourself. That's the word he uses in almost every translation. Also, Paul in the book of Acts, when it's good for others and himself, he will exercise his rights as a citizen in order to keep himself from being beaten or to keep himself from being arrested, right? There was a tradition, we see this even in Luke, that the apostles most likely carried swords with them as they went out, just like other people, to deter robbers, right? So it's in Luke, if you don't believe me, I didn't even see this until this week. It's in Luke when Jesus sends them out with coins or with money and with an extra cloak. They also ask about a sword and they say, we only have one sword. And he said, that will do. And many commentators say that essentially we can take from that. And where in the world did did Peter get his sword in the garden? It was culturally relevant and normal. Don't think samurai, just think of something to deter a robber for your good and for their good and for everybody with you. So if someone breaks in your house, uh, don't shoot them in your front yard as they're running away, but do something to deter them. I think that's what's good for you and that's what's good for them, okay? So the point is, could, could we get into minutia here? Yes, all I'm trying to say is that the point of this passage is to do what is good and what is best for other people in that specific situation. How do you persecute each person with kindness. And that's how I would quickly answer those two questions that kept coming up. What about justice? And does this make me a doormat? Fight for justice, not revenge. Deter other people from doing stupid things and help them by loving them and confronting them with words. So you see, as we close, the purpose of this entire passage is to pursue people with love. What is good for that person. And you and I fail miserably at this. I guarantee you, you probably failed at it this morning and we will continue to fail at it. So my question now to us is, but how do we change? How do we become the type of person who would actually pursue someone's good, even at our own disadvantage, even when they oppose us? And for the sake of time, I'm going to mention one thing And that's this, pray, pray. 
Last week, Ted talked about the idea of when Paul says pray without ceasing, it's the more general idea of prayer or presence before God. And absolutely, that's in my mind when I come up with this encouragement to pray. But also because in prayer and asking God to change you, that is where you surrender your own self to God. I don't know of any other time when we come and we give up all control in our life, when we realize and recognize our dependence. And the only way you and I will grow in a life of foregoing our rights to to avenge ourselves and to retaliate is when we understand that our life is not our own. And where else do we recognize this than when we realize it's God who changes us. We don't change ourselves, And so we come and we surrender daily to God and we ask him to make us minute by minute into the type of person who does what's good for others in that moment. And the idea of today is provision. Paul says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means while we were yet enemies, while we were yet doing evil against God and all of his purposes, while we, in our own selfishness, were making up new ways to sin, making up new ways to live our life the way we wanted to live it. Even then, Christ comes. God provides a lamb when we're running away from him and he chases us. He persecutes us with kindness, to use Paul's analogy. He comes after us, and he provides the perfect way. And in doing that, he has secured our standing before him by providing a lamb. And a few verses after this, we'll get to this. Paul says, you will be made whole. You will be sanctified completely. So we have this past realization that God has secured us and we have this future promise that we will be made into that person we so desire to be. And right now, as we are being convicted and longing to be changed, we have a present power. There is a promise. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not leave us as orphans, but he gave us the Spirit to conform us And so as we pray and as we open ourselves up to dependence, we do so in comfort that God secures us. And he who is faithful, he who pursued us when we were his enemy, will make us more like him so that we also will pursue our enemies with kindness and good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask now that you would change us. We ask that as we reflect in this season on all of the challenges we have, all of the memories we may have of people wronging us, um, all of the narcissistic tendencies we have of self-defense, I pray that as we come to you in prayer, knowing that you are changing us, knowing that you pursued us and still pursue us, even when we sin against you, we pray that you would make us into the type of people who respond with kindness, not with this perverted sense of justice or revenge. I pray you would free us from the false sense of justice that tells us we must ultimately defend ourselves and that defending ourselves, we must must tear others down. I pray that you would combat that lie by helping us realize our identity is in Christ Our hope is in the death and resurrection of our new king 
You have freed us from serving idols of reputation. You have freed us from serving idols of fame and control and power. And now we can come to you in dependence so that we can be used by you to bring about redemption, even in those who do wrong against us. In Jesus' name, amen.